Mark chapter 8. If you would like to turn there, you can. I'm just going to be reading verses 34 through 38. I really do believe one of the biggest privileges that we have as a church is reading God's Word together uh, as a church, corporately. Uh, I love it. It's a privilege, and we get to sing about it. We get to hear about it preached. Reading it together, I think, is really something very special. It's something that God commands us to do. So right now I'm going to read Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 38, if you want to follow along. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. But what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Thank you, Will. Um, I just uh, want to make a couple of comments before we begin. First of all, I want to welcome um, Mrs. Bev Lepper. Uh, she's over there on the side. Many of you remember her. Um, she served here with her husband for uh, many years, and so um, greet her if you have an opportunity. I know she would appreciate that. Um, also, do want to comment, um, a couple weeks ago, some of you remember our air condition went out, and uh, you're thinking, did it happen again, because it is kind of stuffy in here. Uh, no, it's, it's working. It's just having a hard time keeping up with the hot temperature outside and the hot bodies inside here. So uh, make sure that you uh, uh, just keep yourself cool the best you can. Uh, I do want to just uh, apologize for that. However, a couple weeks ago it was hot, and I said I want to apologize for that. And I had some ladies tell me it felt the best it's ever felt in here. So for those of you that like the heat, uh, you're welcome. And uh, we'll try not to do it again. But... Uh, I do uh, want to apologize if you are warm. Uh, the second thing, I, uh, last thing I want to say before we begin is uh, just an introduction for my message. We are going to continue looking at the book and the study we've been doing on this book, I Am Going. Um, it's actually of the Lord that today's topic is missions. Um, and uh, with having a missionary couple with us, and I just thought that was uh, perfect. And uh, so we're going to be looking into the topic of missions this morning. Let me begin with a word of prayer. God, we are thankful that we can be here this morning and study your word. Um, Lord, I am thankful for those who are, are sacrificing each and every day to serve you in a foreign land. And I just pray that you help us to constantly lift them up in prayer. Lord, I pray that you will um, help us to be passionate about this topic as you are. Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity we have to talk about this area. I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. As we begin, I, I, I personally want to just get a little uh, personal with you and talk about my personal journey in the area of missions. For those of you who maybe don't understand what I mean by that, the idea of missions is, is going and taking the, the Bible, the good news of Jesus Christ, to a, a, a different culture. Um, oftentimes in a different country, but even sometimes in our country there are different cultures and opportunities. So I want to share how God worked in my heart. Growing up, 
As a young kid growing up in church, the idea of missions actually scared and intimidated me. Um, I've said this many times, I was, a, I was a shy kid, and so I was terrified to go out um, of my house sometimes. And so the thought of going to another uh, country terrified me. And, and, and in addition to that, in my immaturity, I must say this, I was immature in this, I thought that missions was for those who were incapable of handling living in our own country. Um, I thought that uh, maybe somehow because they were socially awkward or something, uh, they couldn't handle that. Obviously, I was terribly wrong. Um, I viewed, and and maybe it was the perception of individuals I had met, but I viewed uh, missionaries sometimes as even disconnected and not normal. I was wrong. I want you to understand that before you tell me how horrible I was. I was 10 years old, okay? I had a wrong understanding. As I began to mature and grow and and read and study the Bible on my own, I began to wonder the command that was given, that we've talked about um, quite a bit in the last few months, the command that was given to preach the gospel. I began to wonder who that command was actually given to, who was responsible with that. Who was it that was supposed to go into all the world and preach the gospel? Even though at the time, and as a high school student, I was, I was basing my view on, on, uh, of missions on the Bible, I, I, my understanding was still wrong. I thought that the command in Matthew chapter 28 that we see there, the command to go, we've been looking at this verse numerous times, the command to go and make disciples of all nations, I, I wrongly thought that that command was only for missionaries. Only for those who were going into a foreign land. As we've been talking about for a number of weeks and months, actually, this command is for all of us. We'll get into that more in a few moments. I thought that missions was somehow only for a few. That the, the idea of taking the gospel to, to other people was only for a few of us. Again, I was wrong. During my senior year of high school, we um, had a, I don't even remember who it was speaking, but we had some guest speakers come in and we had a mini missions conference at our church. And one of the speakers got up and he was talking about this passage here, and he began teaching on what it means to be a missionary and the call to mission work specifically. The call to go to the world and, and take the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and as he was talking, he said something, and um, it, it, it kind of changed my view. And it's something that has stuck with me. He made this statement. He said, oftentimes we will say, as believers, we will say to God, God, I will go where you want me to go. And God, if you want me to go into missions, that, that's what I'll do. But he said that's actually the wrong view. And, and, and he was basing it on this. And what he said was this. is He said, what we should be saying to God is, God, I will go unless you want me to stay. So this passage is to all of us. And it says, go. And so I told God at that moment, I said, God, I will go wherever, whenever, however you want me to go. As I started into college, I still didn't really know what God wanted me to do. I started, uh, and some of you know this stuff, but some of you don't. I started as a youth major in college, and um, I started into that. And then for uh, multiple of reasons, um, I changed my major. And one of the reasons I changed my major is because I had been spending time working at a camp, and so I became a camp ministry major. But I also wanted to declare a, a couple minors, and so one of my minors was missions. 
And I kept, I kept coming back to God and saying, God, if, if you want me to go on the mission field, if you want me to do that, I will. I'm willing. But every time I began praying that, it was as if God was saying, no, that's not what I have for you. In fact, even a number of years ago, my wife and I um, were asked by some missionaries in uh, Uruguay to come and help them with a camp down there. We just didn't feel that was what God wanted for us. And every time that come up, but, but I decided and I determined as God continued to work in my heart that no matter whether He called me the mission field or not, that I would make it my goal to promote the, the, the call of missions to all of us. My first opportunity I ever had in the area of missions was after my 10th grade year in, in, in high school. Uh, my youth group, we, uh, uh, many of you know I'm from Connecticut, my youth group traveled down to New York City, just a couple hour drive, and we were going to be working with a church uh, in, in the Bronx. Uh, and, and we were, um, this church was inner city, as inner city as you can get. Um, and we were just doing odd jobs around, and we were going to have a youth activity, and we, we went out and talked to people, and we just did different things. One of the things we did, this is just get you a glimpse into where we were at. One of the things we did was uh, we, we cleaned up the building, and uh, there was one wall outside the building that was covered in graffiti, and so the missionary came and said, could you, you guys go? And it was three or four of us went, and he said, can you paint the wall? And so we spent three, four hours painting this big wall, uh, with all this graffiti, and we, we stepped back, and it looked great. We were proud of ourselves, and uh, the next morning we woke up and walked outside, and it was covered in graffiti again. So I'm not really sure why we did that, but um, it's the call to missions, I guess. Um, but uh, and and it, it, what opened my eyes, though, more on that trip was um, one night we were staying in the church. The girls stayed in homes. With us as guys, we stayed in the church, and um, we were up. Tenth graders probably goofing around. It was late at night, and we heard loud noise outside. Our leaders were all asleep, <laughs> and uh, so we decided to go check it out. I know, not smart. Okay, you can tell me that later. And so we went outside of the church, and the church uh, outside of the church, the street was just filled with activity. I mean, this is one o'clock in the morning, and there was a group of young people, probably uh, you know. 10 years old to 16 years old, out playing a baseball game in the middle of the street at 1 o'clock in the morning. So we joined them. Uh, we played with them for a little bit, and then we told them about our youth activity we were having the next night. And, uh, and I remember one of the boys, I was talking to him, and he was probably about 11, 12 years old, and I remember saying to him, do, do your parents know you're out here? And he looks and he says, no. My parents don't care what I do, and they're probably out drunk anyway and uh, I, I, and it suddenly I got a glimpse into what this missionary's world was like missions is something that stuck with me ever since and it's, uh, it's since that trip I've had an opportunity to participate in 12 more mission trips some here in the states some across in different parts of the world I, I share that with you because I want you to understand as we get into this area this is an area that I'm, I'm extremely passionate about this is an area that I, I feel God has called each and every one of us at least to have a part. And I want you to think about what is your part. So there's three aspects that I want to look at. And the first one is, I want to talk about the target of missions. In other words, who is, who is this task of missions directed towards? Who are we called to minister to? 
we look in this passage that we looked at a moment ago, and I want you I want to note one thing. It says, go, that's an imperative to every single person here that calls on the name of Jesus, uh, that we are to go and we are to make disciples. But what does he say? We're to make disciples of all nations. Now, who is, the question we have to ask is, who is all nations? I touched on this topic briefly just a couple of months ago, but I want to talk about it a little bit more now. We are going to fulfill the Great Commission, which is this task, but what is, who are we going to? We need to understand who we're trying to reach. Now, in that passage, the word nations does not mean what we know it to mean. In the word nations, we think of nations, we think of uh, countries, uh, you know, Canada to our north, Mexico to our south, and then all the other countries around the world, we think of those as nations, and uh, we think of them as sovereign governments. Now, on our planet today, there are 195 sovereign governments. Now, that does not include territories such as, you would be example with Guam and Puerto Rico, they're not included in that number, but sovereign nations there is 195, but that is not what this word is talking about. It's not that sense. The Greek word that's used here is ethnos, which is where we get the word uh, ethnic, or, or the idea there is uh, as people of different, uh, different and distinct um, cultures and people groups. So I'm going to use the term throughout as we talk about this, of the idea of people groups. Uh, some translations of the Bible in, uh, use the word uh, Gentiles, meaning anyone who is not a Jew who has not heard the name of Jesus. We think about this then. So how are we as believers doing with the task of reaching the people groups of the world? This book gave some stats. I, I wanted to make sure they were accurate, not that I didn't trust the, uh, the author, but they changed so rapidly I decided to research on my own, even though the book is two years old. There's actually, uh, it's changed. And so I want to talk about that a little bit. Um, But how has it changed? Well, first of all, just some stats here. The world population currently, you can go online and find a a population clock where it's up to date, supposedly. Uh, And as of yesterday, there is 7.6 billion people in this world. How many people groups are there? Well, defining people groups is an interesting thing because uh, it depends how you define it. Some define people groups as language groups. Now, Tim Fink was here, one of our missionaries was here a few weeks ago, and he talked about there's thousands of uh, languages, I don't remember the number he said, I think five, 6,000 languages in this world, and only about three or four of them have a Bible in their own language. So if you talk about just languages, that's the case. However, when we speak about people who speak the, language, the same language, there are some that, even though they speak lang- the same language, Everything else about them is completely different. Let me give you an example. If you go into China, there are sections of China that the entire area speaks Mandarin, speaks Chinese, but yet their cultures are radically different. They have different religions, they have different cultures, they have different, uh, um, even, even their appearance, their structure at times is, is different. And so we talk about people groups that could be not even the same language, but it could be so many different things. And so the estimate of people groups can, can run anywhere from 12 to 24,000 people groups in the world today. So how are we doing reaching them? It is estimated that of those 12 to 24,000, there is approximately 6 to 9,000. That number may be off, maybe low. There are 6 to 9,000 people groups that have never heard the gospel. 
Get that into your head for a moment. Never hurt. It's not that they are just unsaved or, or they follow another religion. No, they do that, but they have never heard the gospel. That's astonishing. If you play that out into population, that means of those 7.6 billion people on this earth, 3.5 at least billion have never heard the gospel. I did not say there are 3.5 billion people unsaved or there are 3.5 billion people who don't go to Baptist churches. I said there are 3.5 billion people who have never heard about Jesus Christ. Does that not just blow you away? And so when we look at the command we looked at a few moments ago, go and make disciples, how are we doing? We haven't finished. We haven't even come close to finishing the task God has for us. That means there are 3.5 billion people who have never heard about God's forgiveness. That means there are 3.5 billion people who have never heard that there is hope. Let me give you an example, a couple examples. There is a there is a small country in, in the west side of Africa called, called Mauritania. I might be pronouncing that wrong, but I think that's what it is. Mauritania. It's a small country of 4.3 million people. I say small. That's quite a bit of people. 4.3 million. It is estimated that in that country there is about 20 different distinct people groups, different, different people who their culture is different and possibly their language is different just inside that little country. And it is estimated that in that country that 99.99% of them are Muslim. You take out the, the atheists, you take out other religions, and it's estimated that there is, in this nation alone, there is less than 150 believers. That means there are, are, are millions who have never even heard about Jesus Christ. Astonishing. One of our missionary families is going to the country of Mayotte. Mayotte is a, uh, is a small island off the coast of Madagascar, and it is estimated there is 97% that have never heard the good news of Jesus Christ. The need for missions is huge in our world. The need for missions is bigger than it's ever been. The need for young men and women, and, and not just young men and women, but older men and women to, to say, I'm going to give up what I'm doing, and I'm going to leave, and I'm going to step out in faith, and I'm going to go and tell the people of the world about Jesus is bigger than it's ever been. And what are we doing about it? It's time for the next generation of missionaries to impact the world. I'm thankful for guys like Brian who are saying, hey, I'm ready to go do that. Because it's bigger than it's ever been, yet the opportunity and resources are greater than they've ever been. I said this a few months ago when I was talking about, uh, about um, people who are facing persecution around our world, and I said that it's estimated that Christianity is growing in every location on earth except for two places, Western Europe and the United States. But other than that, Christianity is growing rapidly. And we have people in other parts of this world that are begging, begging 
for someone to come and tell them about Jesus. We have people, I'm hearing it all the time, about people, pastors, like you mentioned this morning, pastors in parts of the world who are begging people to come and train them on how to understand the Bible or even bring them a Bible that they can read in their own language. And yet we as Americans are comfortable being what we're doing what we're doing. Not only is the, the, the opportunity great, but the, it's, it's never been, I don't want to say this other than it's never been easier. Easier to get two places. Technologically, it's easier to interact. Logistically, it's easier to, to do things like that than it ever has been before. A hundred years ago, some of the missionaries our, churches, our church sent out, it would take them months to get to the field on a boat. The travel so much easier now. Yet the, the, the spiritual warfare is, is horrific. We live in a world where the only answer is Jesus Christ. We need to have a passion as individuals and as a church for the world, for the people groups around the world. Because the only answer is Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except for me. So who is the target? The target is the nations of the world, the people of the world. But secondly, I want to, I want to look at for a few moments, what is the cost of missions? What is the cost of missions? Sorry, I'm getting really long here. Here's the thing is I can I can continue to give you stats and I can motivate you that there is a there is a definite need for missions but now, a lot of times what happens then is we go yeah I want to do that but we don't really stop and take time to evaluate the cost and I'm not talking about the financial cost I'm talking about what is the cost well uh, the passage that Pastor Will read a few moments ago if you haven't turned there turn there to Mark chapter eight I want to look at this this is our main text for this morning but. I, I don't want you to be like, yes, we need to do this in an emotional sense. I want you to be able to understand that following Christ is a cost. Now, this passage is not specifically about missions. It's about, about believers. This passage is not just to missionaries. This passage is to all of us. But it's the idea of, of being willing to count the cost and then being willing to do what God has for us to do. And so taking the gospel costs. But what does it cost? Look again at the passage. I'm just going to read verse 34. It says, In calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Honestly, we read this passage and it sounds radical, doesn't it? Jesus is saying, Anyone who's going to follow me, you must be willing to deny yourself, take up the cross, and, and follow after me. That sounds extreme. But what Jesus is seeing here is something that should be normal. If you look in this passage, who is he talking to? Look at verse 34 again. He says, He's calling the crowd. See, so often we get this idea that this radical type of Christianity is only for, you know, guys like Brian or myself because I'm a pastor. But here, Jesus is talking to the crowd. 
He's not talking to his disciples. He did not, this is not a message where he pulled his, his disciples into an upper room and said, hey guys, I want to talk to you. No, this is for the crowd. He says to them this, because so many were saying, hey, I see the miracles you're doing. I hear all these things you're doing, and I want to follow you. And Jesus stops and says, you want to follow me? Here's what it takes. In verse 31 through 33, we're not going to read those, but those in 31 through 33, Jesus was foretelling of his death. He was telling those that were listening, hey, I'm going to die. The disciples, as seen by the way Peter responds, said, this is ridiculous. We don't believe you. We'll follow you anywhere you go. God is calling every believer, every believer to be a disciple, to be a follower. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he's calling all of us, every single person here, if you are here today and you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, he is calling you to a radical life of discipleship. No exception. There is no sense in this this verse that we're going to look at that God is saying that you can be a Christian and not do these things. There's no sense where it can be, you know, I'm just going to, yeah, I don't want to go to hell. So I'm going to believe in Jesus Christ, but I'm going to stay right where I'm at and I'm not going to do anything for God. There is no sense of that at all. Jesus is saying, hey, you want to follow me? Here's what you're going to do. What are the three things involved? First of all, we want to look at it. First of all, he says, deny self. He says in that passage, you will uh, deny himself, deny yourself. Those two words are not ones that mankind wants to talk about or do. It is not natural for us to deny ourselves. It is not natural for us to deny those things that we want. Today we are told that we must discover ourselves, we must care for ourselves, we must look out for number one. But that's not what this says. What Jesus says, hey, if you're going to follow me, you know what you're going to do? You're going to put yourself your ambitions, your desires to the side, and you're going to follow me completely. This means that you elevate God's plans above your own. This means you elevate God's desire above your own. This means you elevate God's glory. And the glory of God, as, as, as Brian talked about in Sunday school, the glory of God, you elevate that above your own. And that's not easy to do. Our, our natural bent is not to deny ourselves, but to, to want to please ourselves in every turn. Let me give you an example of this. When I was in college, um, I tried out for the soccer team, and the coach came to us the very first day, and uh, there was 65, 70 guys trying out for soccer, and he said, we're going to keep 30. So we knew we had to work hard. If we didn't work hard, we weren't going to make it. We had to be dedicated. If we weren't dedicated, we weren't going to make it. And, and the opening uh, meeting we had, he said, he said to us, he said, here's, here's a couple rules I have for you. And he goes through these list of rules, and then he gets to the end, he goes, and I've never done this before, but he goes, I am going to demand on you a dietary restrictions. And we all begin to look at each other, and we're college guys. You know, college guys don't limit themselves in what they eat, ever. He said, here's, what, here's my rules. Throughout the entire season, from this moment until the very last game, you, will not, you are not allowed to have any desserts. Did he say any? Yes, he did. You're not allowed to have any desserts. You're not allowed to have any 
any candy. You're not allowed to have any um, any soda or pop for you that live in this part of the world. Not allowed to have any um, snacks, chips, things like that. You're not allowed. I mean, that's all that's in a dorm room. Not allowed to have fast food. You're not allowed to have. And he gave us this long list of things we were not allowed to have. And I remember sitting there thinking. You know what? I had to deny myself of those things so that the benefit of it was I could be on the team. But to deny yourself spiritually is not for your benefit alone. It's it's mostly for the benefit of God and His glory. Jesus says here, if you want to follow me, you are going to deny yourself. Now that word deny is interesting. In, in the Greek, it's a it's an imperative word, which means it's a command. This is not a suggestion. This is not a hey, if you want to be a better Christian, you're going to do this. No, this is this is the idea of Jesus saying you must deny yourself if you are going to follow me. It's also interesting to note that that word is singular. This is not a generic church. Deny yourself. Because a lot of times that's what we think the commands are. Hey, church, deny yourself. And you go, yeah, the church better deny themselves. But no, this is you. This is specific to each and every one of us. This is, Pastor Pete, deny yourself. This is Drew Lister, deny yourself. This is everyone. He goes on and he says, uh, after that, he says, deny self. And then he says, die daily. Look at the passage again. He says there in that passage, verse 34, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, take up your crosses is something that has come to mean, you know, bear your trials. Uh, even, even just the other day, I was, I was at a gas station. Uh, it's one I go to from time to time. And so I know some of the workers there. And, and uh, I was talking to this one worker and, uh, I'll just say that there's not a lot of evidence in his life that he's a believer, okay? And I'm talking to him, and I said something, and we were talking, and he said, yeah, man, it's been really busy today. And, and then he looks at me and goes, I guess that's just the cross I have to bear. And I thought, wow. Yeah. It's a phrase we use, but think about it for a moment. Oftentimes, it's something we say about bearing our trials. But for the Jews that Jesus was saying this to, this was a horrific thing. To take up your cross was, was the, the worst thing you could possibly think about. Now, I have to remind you that from our perspective, we look and we understand it more than they do because, because Jesus was going to die on the cross. They did not realize that. So he says to them, I, I want you to take up your cross. He is telling them to pick up what was the worst known instrument of death in the world at the time. A death on the cross would be, would be a horrible thing. We understand the way Jesus died on the cross and they took him and after they had beaten him, so he was, didn't even look like a human anymore, they placed him on the cross and they, they nailed his hands and his feet to the cross and, and a, a rough piece of wood. Okay, this was not like we think of uh, you know, a cross as a smooth, fine piece of wood. It, was, it would have been rough. They would have taken it and they would have jammed it into the ground and he would have hung there. Oftentimes, people who died on a cross, it would take them 
a, a day or two of hanging on a cross, agonizing in pain, trying to get a breath before they would die. And so for the people that Jesus is talking to, when he said to them, hey, take up your cross, That was a horrible thing. What was his point? What he was saying was this. Is in order to follow me, you have to die to you. It's not a physical death. It's a spiritual death that says this. I am no longer in charge of my life. He is. Paul said, he said this, about that, he said, I am crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, but it is Christ that lives within me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He says, I did not, I, I am not living on my own because every single day, Paul says, I die. Now we see in this passage, he says, uh, take up the cross. If you look in, in a companion passage in Luke, Luke adds the word daily. He says, take up the cross daily and follow me. It's an everyday of saying, you know what? I'm not going to live for myself today. I'm going to live for God. I'm not going to live for myself today. I'm going to live for God. And it's, it's each and every day we make a decision to not allow selfishness to reign in our lives, but to die to myself. To live for God and then in, in, in extension of that, to live for others. Not about me. Again, this isn't a suggestion. The, word, the phrase that's used there is, an, again, an imperative. Dying to self is an essential for a follower of Jesus. But then finally, I'm going to move quickly, finally he says, follow me. Verse 34, uh, 4, he says, deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. The command here requires trust, doesn't it? Have you ever fallen, been following someone, maybe, maybe on a hike or maybe in a car? And, and you, you, uh, you're trusting them that they know what they're doing. I remember when I was in college and uh, my, uh, my wife and I, we had just started dating. I think we had been dating like a month. And we and a group of other people decided we were going to go uh, to a soccer game. And uh, that was a few hours away. And so we, we drove to the soccer game. And then a bunch of us, there was, there was four vehicles all traveling together, a bunch of us, we were on our way back. It was about a three, four-hour drive. We were going to stop and get something to eat. Well, I'm driving in my car, and there was two vehicles in front of me that I'm following. You ever followed someone, and you're not really, I mean, you're paying attention, but you're not paying attention the same as if you're going by yourself? That's what I was kind of doing. We were talking, and we're driving along, and, and uh, I, I'm just driving along, following the person in front of me, and doing my best job to do that. And all of a sudden, I look in my rearview mirror, and woo pull over. There's four vehicles in our group. I am the third one. I am the only one that was pulled over. And the police officer told me, I guess my station wagon looked intimidating. He pulled me over and said I was going 61 and a 55. So I got a ticket. That's what I get for following people, right? But when you follow someone, you trust them completely. And what he's saying in this passage, to follow Jesus means this. 
I give you complete control to determine uh, the direction of my life. And it's saying this. It's, saying, it's not saying, okay, I'm going to drive and you tell me where to go. No, it's saying this. It's saying, I'm taking my hands off the steering wheel of my life, Lord, and I'm going to let you decide. I'm going to let you tell me what to do. I'm going to let you guide me in every single thing I do. This is not going to be me driving anymore, God. It's going to be you because I trust you completely. I want to just make a side comment here. Parents, I think we have to be very careful about this in our kids' lives. Too often I hear parents and young people planning out their lives with little or no thought of what God wants. We can't do that. Moms and dads, you cannot do that. And you cannot allow your kids to do that. I was a youth pastor long enough to know that this, this is... This is something that happens way too often. There would be many times, on many occasions, where I'd have a young person come up to me and they would say something like this. I know what I want to be when I grow up. And oftentimes I would look at them and I would say, but do you know what God wants you to be when you grow up? And what shocked me was how many times I would have young people or parents, when I would ask that question, where they would look up at me and say, I I never really thought about that. And here what Jesus is saying is, is he's saying, if, if you're going to follow me, what you're going to say is this, is God, I'll go wherever you tell me to go. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. I'll be whoever you want me to be. You let go. You let God. Moms and dads, teach your kids that. It is not their plan for their lives. It is not your plan for their lives. It is God's. It should be something that you teach them constantly. Again, this is not just for elite Christians only. This is for everyone who claims to be a follower of Christ. Now notice how Jesus ends the sermon. Will read this, but look at verse 35. For whoever would save his life, whoever would do, do everything they can to protect their own life, whoever hang on to their life will lose it. In other words, it would be a waste. You're going to live for yourself. You're going to do your own things. What, what this passage, what Jesus is saying is it's a waste. He says, whoever would lose his life, in other words, whoever would let go of it and say, God, you do what you want. What does it say there? He will save it. But what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What can a man give in return for his soul for Whoever is ashamed of me, and in my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in in, in the glory of his Father with the Holy Angels. These three things, deny self, die daily, follow Jesus, are costly. But they are so worth it. Not because of what we receive, but because of the glory that God receives through us. And so, though this seems radical, this should be normal. I think of what Paul said when he was talking about his own life, and he said this in Philippians, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I, I love this passage because it's, it's Paul's heartbeat. He's saying this, for me to live. In other words, as I live, everything I do is about Christ. I think about Christ. I talk about Christ. I live for Christ. Wherever Christ tells me to go, I go. Wherever Christ tells me to do, I do. And that's, that's awesome. But then he says, but if I die, that's even better. We think that. 
And this call to, to, to follow Christ is the call to all of Christianity, but it, this is also the call to missions. Is God calling you to do more today? Is God calling you to forsake more? Is God calling you to deny yourself, to die daily, and to follow Him? If so, how do we do that? How do we do that specifically as we're talking about missions? How do we do that in the area of missions? And I've got to cruise because we're running short on time. But uh, the plan of missions, two things, and I want to go quickly. First of all, um, I, I am a great commission follower. We talked about the passage in Matthew, the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations. That is what is called the Great Commission. And I, I need to be uh, about Great Commission living. It's a call to constantly proclaim the gospel. It's a call for every believer. In the broad sense, it's a call to mission work. Charles Spurgeon said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. What does it look like to do the worst work of missions? First of all, it's to commit to giving God complete control of every aspect of your life. Now, when we get saved, when we give our life to Christ, what we're saying to God is, God, I know that there's, I, there's no way I can earn my way to heaven. And so the best I can do is come to you. In fact, the only thing I can do And from that moment then, we say to God, God, my life is yours. And I know that that doesn't happen necessarily instantaneously. Maybe we say it, but but it's over time that we slowly give up things to God and we give up different aspects. And and that is the idea of living this, this committed life to God that every day we give Him more control of our life and say, God, this is yours. And as a Christian, we should be doing that constantly. But it might be this morning that someone that God is calling someone in here to foreign mission work. And I want to say this this might not be a call just for young people. I'm hearing more and more about men who who are, are leaving vocational work and going into into the mission field. The opportunities are greater today, as I said, than they've ever been. Men and women are following the call to missions in ways that we have not seen before. And, and men are getting creative about how they, they can do that. And, uh, and there's things like, and some of you have heard of these, there's, there's people who are going into, into communist countries to teach English. They couldn't go as missionaries, but they're going in there to teach English and they're using that as an opportunity to proclaim the gospel. There's individuals I heard about recently about a man who, who's going into a country that there's no way any of us could go there, but he's an engineer, and he got a job in this country as an engineer. Why? So he could proclaim the gospel. Medical missions is growing. People going in as nurses and doctors to places so they can tell, not, not so they can just heal people's physical bodies, so they can tell people about Jesus. And maybe God is calling you to do something to reach the different people groups of the world. Maybe God is not calling you to do that specifically. Maybe, as I said earlier, you're willing to go, but God is telling you to stay. Then what do you do here? How do you spread the gospel here? What are you doing to plant seeds of the gospel? Just a few weeks we have our Invite Your One Sunday. That's an opportunity to bring people and begin planting more seeds for the gospel. I'm a Great Commission follower. Secondly, I'm a Great Commission supporter. What do I mean by that? Maybe God has not called you, but you have a responsibility to be a, a support to those who are going into all the world and preaching the gospel. How do we do that? First of all, we can pray. Prayer is, is the greatest power that any missionary can have. 
do you pray? Do you constantly pray for the missionaries that our church supports? Go in the back hallway. You'll see them on the board. Remember at one time a few years ago, and, and I do not remember who said this to me, so if it was you, I'm, I'm not trying to offend you. A few years ago, I, had, I was talking with one of our church members about one of our missionaries we support. And this was someone who had been in our church for years. It was a missionary who we had supported for years. And I mentioned their name, and they said, I don't know who that is. You should know every missionary we support. Because you should be praying for them. You should be praying for them, maybe not on a daily basis, but maybe on a weekly basis, somehow that you're praying for them. They need your prayer. They also need your gifts, giving. In, in John, John said to Gaius, therefore we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers in the truth. We, may, we should support them. This is in giving, helping them to get onto the field. So how do we do it individually? But also, I want to just conclude here in the, just the next few moments. And actually, what I'm going to do here, um, in the back, you'll see some of these available. A few years ago, uh, we wrote up a philosophy of missions as a church, and I printed a bunch of these up, and they're back there. If you would like to grab it, because I'm going to skim this, because we're running late. But uh, grab this and go through this. But uh, how, do we, how, do, what, how do we, as a church, promote the idea of missions? And we came up with a philosophy of missions and there's five principles. First one, God's glory in missions. Uh, we see in Revelation, and, and, uh, that, and Brian referenced this passage earlier, it says, they sang, that's all those that are gathered around sang, worthy, is, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And here the idea is this is at the end times that God is worthy. Why is He worthy? Because he died for you. And he's worthy. And so because he's worthy, we go and we tell, as it says in this passage, every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. So how does that play out? Therefore, we will seek to expand the geographic reach of the gospel and to strengthen the effectiveness of gospel ministry where it exists. We will do whatever we can as a church to expand that. Looking for ways to expand our, our reach as a church, I'm praying about that. Second principle is God's means and missions. Uh, God's means, God's primary uh, work of missions is accomplished through the local church. Therefore, we will focus our resources on efforts to establish, edify, and equip a digitally led. What does that mean? That means people who are, are from that culture, from that people group. Okay, It is not about me going to... Uh, another nation and establishing a church that looks like First Baptist. It's about me going and, and teaching, as, as, as the missionary here is doing, and teaching others how to do that. So we go, and that's all done through the local church. We will continue to do that. Uh, let me go quickly here. God's commitment to missions. And uh, he says there, and he has put all things under his feet. God has gave all resources to us through Jesus Christ, and therefore, because God has given us all resources. We should use all of our resources for God. We follow God's example of commitment by emphasizing prayerful, thoughtful, and personal involvement. Let me ask you this. How can you get involved? I want to encourage you. I'm actually going to wrap it up here. You can get the sheet and read the rest of them. But I want to encourage you. Pray about the opportunity to go on a short-term mission trip. It will open your eyes. 
Um, I have an opportunity, and I've shared this before, but I want to I want to give you more detail now. I have an opportunity this September, September 10th to the 19th, to go with Tim Fink to the land of India. Uh, we're going to be going. If you look on the map there, I know it's small, but if you look on the map, um, all the way over to the east coast of India, uh, there on the other side of Bangladesh, there's a little section of land. Uh, we're going to be going to a city called Impal. Um, and we're going to be going there, and Tim and I are going to be doing a conference um, there on marriage and the family. Um, God has opened this opportunity. Uh, I'm excited about it. I'm also nervous about it. So I ask you to pray for me. Pray for me as I go. Pray for safety. Uh, pray for clarity as I teach. It's very difficult when you teach in a nation where you don't speak the language. You have to speak through someone else. Uh, it, you have to be very concise in what you say. And so pray that I, I, I am. Um, and then I also ask you to pray for my family. That's a long time for me to move away from my family. And so pray for them. Uh, also, I want to I add this. Deacons asked me to add this. Um, but uh, I would want you to consider contributing to my trip. Uh, the cost is about 1600 to 2000 uh, If you would like to give, you can. If, if not, I understand. Uh, but uh, just give towards pastoral missions, uh, and it will go towards that. Look at these things, and I'm going to skip the last um, few principles. You can uh, look at them in the sheet back there. But uh, God has called us to do a great work. How are we doing? Specifically, how are you doing? The command that God gave to go and make disciples of all nations is not just for those who go out on missions long term. For all of us. So how are we doing? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this idea of missions. Lord, we see examples of, of great missionaries in the Bible. And we see examples of great missionaries in our past as a church. We see great examples of great missionaries in our world today. And Lord, I just pray that you help us as a church to be serious about this, this call to claim the gospel to the nations of the world. Lord, maybe there's someone here this morning who you're, you're working on their heart. And they don't maybe know how, they don't know where, they don't even know what yet, but they know that you are asking them, you are calling them to leave the comforts of... of our culture to go to another one. I pray that you'll help them to be humble enough and courageous enough to do it. And I pray that you will work in their lives. Lord, but for those who you are asking to stay, Lord, I pray that you'll help us to find ways to, to get ourselves into this topic, in this area of missions. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.